So I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment. Father God, um, I'm, your, I'm your servant. I came before you and begged you to help us and to give us what you wanted us to know today and what you wanted to say. And I pray, Father, that these words will now, you will breathe life into them. They're just black and white printed words on a page. Please remove me to the side so that your voice may be heard. And in Christ's name, I ask this. Amen. Amen. Okay. It's Sunday night. And I was doing what I do on Sunday night. I was watching PBS. <laughs> Called the Midwife is a favorite show. And it's now in its 10th season. Do you guys all know what that show is about? It's about, for just in case, somebody in here doesn't know, it's about the lives of the midwives at Nonnatus House in London during a period of like the 40s to the 60s. And even though as I watch, I see childbirthing over and over on this show, I always choke up every single time at the joyful arrival of yet another miracle of God when the baby is delivered. Every baby, every time. So when Becky called me that night to ask me if I would teach this week, again, and I knew that Paul's big metaphor for this section of scripture is childbirth, and especially the pain of childbirth, I took it as a sign from God that he was calling me to do this. He was calling the midwife to come and talk again. And I feel sorry for you guys, but no, no. So as I pray, as I prepare every time, I always read commentary, but I also watch sermons of other people preaching the same section or teaching the same section on YouTube. And all of the ones I found were male pastors and Ben. It was so funny when they would get to talk about this issue of the pain of childbirth. It was awkward. But ladies, we have got this. I mean, we don't just sympathize and we don't only empathize, but we relate. Because one thing many women know about, whether they've just watched it, I mean, you just, we know about the pain of the process of giving birth and everything that goes with it, or the pain of longing for a child. And today, Paul is going to go there with this metaphor that we women, in particular, really get. However, I want to start with a question to ponder. And that question is, what is normal? It was in August of 1998 that my husband and I found ourselves talking with our infant daughter Lily's heart surgeon, Dr. Ungerleiter. He had performed her recent heart surgery during which he created her four, a four-chamber heart from her two-chamber heart. Mm -hmm. Although the surgery had gone well, the healing had not. Our daughter had contracted a staph infection and that had destroyed the work that the surgeon has done, had done. And we were talking with him about going back and repairing that damage. He was willing to do it, although her survival and recovery were very doubtful. And he said to us, she'll never be normal, you know. I knew that he was trying to help us think beyond this situation and see into her future. Was sending her through more medical intervention going to be worth it? In his eyes, it would just subject her to an abnormal life. I heard his words in my mind and I just thought, I was, didn't say it out loud, but kind of laughed a little bit about that comment because I was thinking, well, what about this world is normal? 
even those children who are born with no physical abnormalities to contend with, certainly contend with the abnormalities of this world. It's a fallen world, held in the grip of sin and death. Death, decay, evil. Do you doubt that? Read or watch the news tonight. So who defines normal? For the Christian, God does. And his word lets us know that we're not living in the land of normal. Nothing about our existence is as he intended. He is normal, it's not his normal. But it's on the believer's horizon and it's coming. It's been promised. It's our inheritance. So what is normal as God defines it? You heard the phrase, the new normal? Well, what I'm gonna to describe to you is the old normal. <laughs> the way God intended our lives to be and what Jesus had made possible for us to return to. Life that is normal, really normal. So here are seven descriptions of normal as God defines it. One, a place where righteousness dwells. And we've learned what righteousness means. God's character everywhere. Second Peter 3. Two, a place where God lives with us. Physical presence of God living with us. And as a result, there are no more tears because death and sorrow and pain are gone. And all things are new all the time. They're new all the time. Revelation 21. Three, the people live in joy and there's no weeping, but rejoicing. Isaiah 65. Four, the people are righteous and this is the way it will be forever. Isaiah 60. Five, there is peace forever. The wolf and the lamb live safely together. The leopard lies down with the baby goat, doesn't try to eat it. And a little child can lead both of them. Or the child could play next to a snake hole or put its hand in a snake pit because there is no danger, that's all gone. And there's peace between mankind and nature. Isaiah 11. Everyone knows God. Isaiah 11, and no one ever dies, ever, Isaiah 66. This, sisters in Christ, is normal, and it belongs to us. It is our inheritance, and it's coming, but not yet. And that's what Paul's talking about when he writes verses 18 through 27 of chapter 8 in this letter to the Roman church. Our glorious future that's on the horizon. Our glorious future in Christ. Not yet means waiting, longing. But longing in a hope that is certain. It's not, I hope this, it's, I have this hope inside of me because of the certainty of this future. Verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared, it's something, 
It is definitely something. But compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. This past Sunday, Dave Dunderdale wore a pink shirt. I know, right? What drove him to such a drastic action? It was the birth of his granddaughter to Lucy and Evan Kate. And when this announcement was made, we applauded with joyous abandon. And the news of this birth brought a joy so intense it almost hurt. And many of us teared up. Why? Because Lucy and Evan have suffered greatly with the loss of their little son, Moses. We have ached with them. We have prayed for them. We have written comfort and encouragement to them, but we couldn't fix it. This happened to Bob and I when our daughter died shortly after we had that conversation with Dr. Ungerleiter. We waited for three months for her to grow uh, large enough for her heart surgery, and we longed to bring her home. We hoped we would have a life with her, but we didn't. And after we sold or gave away all the baby things and settled in to nurse our wounded souls, God gave us hope, literally, when she was born to her 47-year-old mother. And we experienced a joy so intense, we could hardly believe it. All the suffering that we endured had left its mark, but compared to the joy of having hope, it was greatly diminished. It went off into the distance. And that's how Paul wants the believers to understand suffering during our time of waiting. Verse 19 through 22. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. As the curse that Adam and Eve's sin caused encompassed all mankind, it also affected creation. We're bound because we are created. So creation and us, we are bound. Death and decay and violence and danger also became part of creation's normal. It became an involuntary victim of the shroud of death that envelops the earth. And so like a woman in the process of giving birth, as that, like that woman will groan and endure great pain while she awaits the birth, creation groans and creation waits. But it waits with this anxious longing and earnest expectation with eagerness. Which of us who have given birth to children aren't eager for this pain to be over with? <laughs> Very eager. The Greek verb that Paul uses literally means to stretch your head Get in onto your tiptoes and try to peer into the future for something's coming. To look into the distance that you can't see immediately, but that you know with a certainty that it's approaching. Maybe it's kind of like 
in a small way, being in a parade, standing on the sidewalk, craning your neck because something's coming and you hear the sounds maybe in the distance and it's something wonderful. It's approaching, but it isn't here yet. Not yet. What is creation awaiting? Freedom. Freedom from death and decay. Freedom from the results of the curse that sin beget. It's awaiting the old normal. What it was created to be, to be forever new. When will this happen? It will happen at the same time that the sons of God are revealed. And don't forget, sons of God is the position that you hold. You are one of the sons of God in position to receive this inheritance. When the redeemed of mankind are shown to be who they are, those who are redeemed will be shown to be the sons of God. It's not just creation that longs and moans and waits. We do too. The elect, the believers in the finished work of Christ, those of us who belong to him, verse 23, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste for future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. So what do we wait for? Well, the thing that, that affects us the most right now is our bodies. My husband works at Duke Durham Regional Hospital on the rehab floor, and every day, at the end of the day, he goes into half of the patients, they divide it in half, room to deliver their schedule for the next day. And many days, he engages in conversations with these patients. He's had many a conversation with a patient, many conversation, I know, because we pray for these people, not by name, because he doesn't say their names, but we pray, that are hopeless and they're depressed because they feel trapped in their bodies and it, their bodies aren't functioning the way they need it to and often Bob prays with these patients when they, when they ask him to and they're, he says to me they're longing for something better they tell me that they want to go home and they want things to return to normal this is what Paul had to say about that in Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5, he said to this at verse 5, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, and not by human hands. And what that means is, is uh, you were born of a human and, uh, and your body is therefore created from human genes. These new heavenly bodies, not made by human hands. These new heavenly bodies crafted directly by God and given to you to be, to be your body. And it says we grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put our heavenly bodies, to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothes. We will put on heavenly bodies, for we will do that. And we will not be spirits without bodies. They must have thought that they were just going to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us, but rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 24, we were given this hope when we were saved. Because if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to it, if we crane our necks and peer into the future for something we don't have, we must wait. How? Patiently and confidently. Because it's a certainty. Paul is reassuring the believers that the one who made the promise keeps his promise. And that's why we're able to wait patiently and confidently. I always feel a little bit nervous when I'm watching a detective mystery, which I love, on TV, and the detective promises to catch the bad guy. And, he, and the detective, every time, they'll say, I promise you, we will catch the one that has done this to you. <laughs> and then you know, da, 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 da. you're bound to see that promise is frustrated. <laughs> it's like, don't say that. I'm, and, and I'm careful not to make promises because although my intention is always good, I can't always keep them, no matter how much I want to. But this situation that we're in with God, this promise by Him to deliver, it's absolutely certain. And it's not because of the promise. It's because of the one that made it. It's because God made the promise. You can't have a stronger promise than that. So the promise to grant you is to grant you the old normal, an immortal, incorruptible body. It can't decay. And a world that is free from sin, death, decay, and danger. So much he promises, and it's a certainty. And so we have a certain hope. And that's why Paul used this Greek word. There are many Greek terms for hope, but this one is a certain kind of a, a word. And I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but I'm going to spell it for you. E-L-P-I-S. I'm going to pretend I know how to Elpis, maybe? It's the assured expectation. It's an expectation that is absolutely certain. It's guaranteed. It's got a stamp on it. It's a seal. It will happen. And the foretaste, the first fruits, the proof, the seal, it's the Holy Spirit. Where does he live? In you. He not only witnesses to our spirit that these things are true, in you, he intercedes for you. He prays for you. He, you might not know, but he communicates day and night with God for you. For things you don't even know you need to be interceded for sometimes. Farmers really understand this concept of first fruits because they work with planting and tending, but they don't have a guarantee of the yield. The outcome is sight unseen for a long time until, until the first fruits appear. The quality of the first fruit is an indication of how the rest of the season will go. And if it's of excellent quality, the farmer can breathe a little sigh of relief and then wait in eager expectation 
for the rest of the crop to come in. Well, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you is our first fruit. It's your foretaste of your future. And the Holy Spirit, verse 26, helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. You've heard the saying about someone that, oh, his or her future is secure, and usually that indicates, or you think of, oh, they have a silver spoon in their mouth, or they've got some advantage that other people don't have, like a financial advantage, a great job, a powerful authority supporting them, securing their future. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He secures that future we've been talking about. He is the promised one that makes certain that the believers receive their promised inheritance. You know, it's really Christ's inheritance, but he shares it with us because we're in him. So now, son of God, it's your inheritance too. The Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness, your frail body, this broken world, the trials and the temptations that you endure, and he holds you fast and securely he keeps you in Christ. He seals you into the promises of God. He assures you that you receive the realization of this promise. And he brings you safely home into God's normal. So I'm going to end here with these words from a favorite song that's written by the Gettys. Or Bob said it wasn't written by them, but they sing it. <laughs> and it's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me into this relationship with God. He'll hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's tearful path and fearful path. For my love is often cold, but he will hold us fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold us fast. We're precious in his holy sight, and he will hold us fast. He'll not let your soul be lost. His promises shall last, because you were bought by him at such a great cost. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast, for your Savior loves you so. He hold you fast. Let's pray. Father God, only your Holy Spirit can witness to our spirit and tell us again and again and again as we need to hear that you'll never let us go. Never. You'll not lose one of us. And you give us a foretaste. A foretaste of our glorious future in Christ. I pray that we will wait patiently and confidently and endure these hardships with, through the power of the Holy Spirit of living in our not normal world as we await coming home to the normal world that you have for us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.